and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brother and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays any evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time as we were reminded and the work that you're doing in Central Asia through Wade and Link and many others caring for the church, that this is a privilege to gather, Lord, to gather freely, to have a space that is uh, comfortable and a space that uh, is ours every week uh, to come before you. And so we just want to thank you for that. We pray tonight as we look at your word that you would uh, really just challenge us, but also that you would encourage us with the grace of your revealed will in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we close our series, The Good Life, that we have been going through. And I'm going to start from the very beginning and say this sermon is going to be different from majority of other sermons that you have heard or you've been a part of here at Crossbridge Brickle. And here's why the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is everyone that's uh, behind that like we're the conglomerate, I want you to move forward, and you're going to see why in a minute. So if you're in the back, move forward, get closer, move a few rows up. I want more people closer. You can get up right now. Like, you can stand up. You can move closer. Unless you have a child and you need to go back because there's a crying situation, just move a little bit forward. You're going to understand why I'm not just trying to make you move for the sake of moving. It's not just to make me feel better. It is for you, and you'll see in a moment. So as you make your way on forward, that would be wonderful. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? We're all just one big happy family, close. Some of you are like, I don't like anyone in my row. And now someone else is in your row. And you're like, and some of you, you choose the same row every week. And now you're in a different row and you feel uncomfortable. But there's a reason for this. And I'll share that in a moment. So we're ending our, our series, The Good Life. And uh, we have been traveling through this book called 1 Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul. And he writes to this young church in the city of Thessalonica. He's talked about many different topics. He's addressed different things in the life of their church, encouraged them and challenged them. And tonight he's going to end by looking at the leadership of the church. And he's going to also speak about the community of the church as a whole, all the people gathered. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And what he's going to say is that radical generosity is the revealed will of God in your life, and it is good. The good life is actually living a life of radical generosity. You know, generosity is a, a word and is a thought and is an idea that is, in fact, a cultural value. 
Like in our society, we believe that generosity is good and is important. But though it is a cultural value, cultural values aren't always cultural realities. Just because we value something doesn't mean it shows up all the time. According to Forbes, we live in, you ready? When you combine charitable giving and volunteer service, we live in the 44th most generous state in America. Out of 50, if you are wondering. 44th. And then if you look at our city, our city is one of the top 10 least generous and compassionate cities in all of America. So, though generosity is a cultural value, it's not always a cultural reality. Now, I want to be very clear. There are a lot of ways that we've seen generosity be really come to the forefront in our society and really care for people uh, and really bring transformation in people's lives. One very clear example is the website GoFundMe, right? Incredible. The way that people, strangers, come alongside and give and support and care for people that are going through really difficult times. And there's many other ways. So we don't live in a culture that's completely devoid of any type of generosity. But what you see when you look at generosity in our culture is that it's not radical. Meaning, we're generous as a culture. We give one time, two times, three times. We, we serve at a serve project. We engage in some volunteerism at times. We give generosity of praise in different moments. But giving radically means that it's consistent, it's ongoing, and it hurts a little. Like it makes you a little bit uncomfortable to give radically generous. And when I'm speaking about generosity, I want you to understand what I say. When I, when I use that word, I don't just mean giving money. I don't just mean uh, being charitable with your, your treasure or with your resources. I also mean giving your time and your talent, giving encouragement, giving prayer, giving praise, giving worship, all the type of things that you can give away that, are, that God has blessed you with, he has given you, or who you are. Generosity is just living open-handed, living open-handed with everything that you have and who you are. And radical generosity is living open-handed in a way that hurts a little. It's a little uncomfortable. It's not always easy. In fact, oftentimes people will look at you if you're living radically generous and they will think you are insane. It's a really good question actually to ask yourself when you think about radical generosity. And here's, here's the question I want to ask you. When was the last time your generosity made someone question your sanity? When was the last time the way that you used your time and your talent and your treasure, the way that you gave out praise, the way that you engaged in prayer and worship, whatever it may be, that someone looked at you and said, what's wrong with you? Like, why, why are you doing that? That makes no sense. When was the last time your sanity was questioned? And Paul, this evening, as he ends his letter, is going to look at the church of leaders that have been radically generous, and he's going to say, you need to honor and respect those in your community that are living open-handed, that are literally giving to where many in society and maybe even within the church look at them and say, you're insane. But then he's going to look at the church as a whole, everyone gathered and say, listen, God's revealed will to you that is actually good is to live open-handed in a radical way, to trust that. 
So we're going to jump into verse 12. Here's what it says, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So Paul first is looking at the leadership of the church. He's looking at the church as a whole, but he's pulling out the leaders. He's saying, you need to esteem and to elevate and to admonish in love those who are laboring, those who are living radically generous lives with their time, their talent, their treasure, the way that they're engaging in the mission of the church. You need to honor them and respect them and recognize them. It's interesting that Paul, something he leaves out here that in many other letters he doesn't. In many other letters, when he speaks about the leadership of the church, he will name names. But here, he doesn't name any names. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy planted this church years ago. They've been gone, and new leaders have, have stepped forward. But I think the reason that he leaves out names is because this church is so full of leaders, it is impossible for him to name them all. And we know that because this church was famous in their city, their region, and the whole world by the way in which they lived their lives. They lived open-handed, and it was bringing transformation in their city and all throughout the world. So Paul has so many leaders that he wants to have recognized that he can't even write their names down. Instead, he looks to the church, and he says, you need to recognize them. That word respect actually means to know or to recognize. It's what it means to respect in this context to recognize them. And I want to do something a little bit different. This is why I asked some of you that are still a little bit upset that I asked you to move forward, why I asked you to move forward. I'm actually going to take a moment here, and I want to recognize the leaders of this church. And I want you to be close so you can look around and see all those people that are living open-handed, are giving their time, their talent, and their treasure. That's Paul's command to us, and so we might as well take that on. So I want to ask everyone that's on the gather team to stand. Everyone that says a set up and tear down team, don't be shy. There will be a lot of this, so you might as well stand up. Everyone that serves, that has done it before to set up and tear down, there's more of you. Some of you are hiding. It's like half of the church. Yes. Okay. Like what's happening? Why are you so, you're going to, you need to be recognized. Okay. I want to, I just want to say, for those of you who don't know, the gather team sets up and tears down every single week. They get here at three o'clock and they, they leave sometimes at 7.30, sometimes at 8.30, depending on how long the party in the back happens. They come here. They transform this space to the best of the ability uh, that we have. And it's not a glamorous job. It's not a job that gets recognition, but it is the backbone of what we do here. Without the gather team, this would not happen in the way that it does. And it is an incredible sacrifice that you guys give to be on this team constantly. And so I just want to thank you guys and tell you guys how appreciative I am and the rest of us are of you. So can we give them thank you. You guys can sit down. Next, I want to ask the kids ministry team to stand up. Anyone that serves with the kids? Carmen, we got a few others. There's some in the back. If you st There's so many people are nervous right now, guys. Some of you I'm going to isolate alone. Listen, this team... This team, they, they not only care and love our kids, they, they care for their, their heart and their soul. It's not child care. They really do care 
for their spiritual development. They love them, and they give the families the opportunity to actually get away from the kids for a moment and to worship. They sacrifice a service when they work back there. Many of them, you know, when you're dealing with children, oftentimes those that are scheduled, like tonight, many people call in sick because their kids get them sick, and people on this team jump in. And we have not an ideal space, if you were wondering, for children. But I want to let you know, we actually do have a solution that we're going to let you know about in two weeks. It's going to be the coolest kids ministry in the history of kids ministry, what we're going to do. So just wait on pins and needles. But I want to thank you guys all in the kids ministry for all that you do. Uh, I know it's a blessing to me because I have a son and I, I know what happens back there. And it's, it's not child care, it's children's ministry. Uh, I'm really appreciative of all of you. I want to ask the First Impressions team to stand up. First Impressions, those who greet us, stand up, stand up. Thank you. Listen, one of the things that we hear all the time as a church, we hear as a church that this church is welcoming, is warm, is a safe place for people to come and to process questions, to come as they are, and it's in large part because of what you guys do. Because you guys greet with a smile, you engage in conversation with new people, you keep us well caffeinated, and you give us snacks before. Uh, it, it's such an important role, and just want to thank you guys for coming early and scheduling and being here to do that. Uh, we're very, very appreciative of your generosity in that way, so thank you. I want to ask the events team to stand up. Events team. Some of you don't even know these teams exist. Events team. So, you know what the events team does? You know all the awesome parties with all the food and the baked goods and the drinks and everything? That's the events team. They're always thinking about what can we do to create atmospheres for great conversations and relationships to be built. And they organize it. They host it. They go back there. Actually, they sneak back after communion. And they go back there and they set everything up so it's all ready. And we want to thank you guys for what you do. It is awesome. I tell you that we're supposed to, I would like to see one event a month. And I normally push for more. So thank you for indulging me when I push for more events and organizing uh, the meal schedule. Which, if you're wondering, tonight everyone's going to Rice House in Brickell. So if you want to go eat. But thank you guys for what you do. I'm so appreciative of that. Next, we have the care team. Care team, stand up. I don't, I, do we have any care team members here? Vanessa, Lauren, Maria Clara. Um, am I missing anyone on the care team? I think that's it. They're not here, but if you don't know what the care team does, they pray for our people constantly. They write encouraging letters to many of you. Uh, that are going through difficult times in your life and are facing certain things or just need encouragement. They set up all the meals for those that are sick or those that have children that can't, they, their babies just were born, they can't figure out how they're going to eat. They set up meals. They, they really do care for the real life practical needs of our church. And so I just want to honor them and respect them uh, to recognize them as well. City Serve Team, will you stand up? Melissa and Wade, who you saw up here, are on the City Serve team. This is a new team that we kind of developed at the end of the summer. And we said as a church, we want to have more of a presence in the life of our city, caring for our city, serving our city alongside organizations that we love. And they've hit the ground running, already organized an event with Habitat for Humanity. We have another one coming up in the future with um, Miami Rescue Mission, correct? And we're working with Touching Miami with Love for this Christmas season, as well as with Link. And so I want to thank you guys for hitting the ground running and doing that, and we've got a lot of exciting things ahead, so thank you, Melissa. Now, this next team is, is just one human being, and it's the finance team. Finance team, Justin Tucker. 
Look at that. Thank you, Justin, for liking numbers. You know, I don't understand why, but Justin is always constantly looking at our resources that God gives us, and he's saying, how can we steward these things well? He's building a reserve for us as a church so that we are being smart with the resources that come in. We don't spend frivolously, and he works on our budget. He keeps us in the black consistently, and he's helping build out our budget for 2019, and that is work that I don't know how to do. And <laughs> I never would want to do. And so thank you, Justin, for doing that. In fact, he also goes once a month to meetings all the way down in Pinecrest on Sunday in the afternoon and then drives back up here for church. And so thank you, Justin, so much. <laughs> a couple more teams. The communications team. Do we have any communications team people here? I think Leah is out of town and Ben is out of town, if you know them. They lead our communications team that deals. They're actually in flux right now in transition, but they they deal with all the connection cards. They've, they've reached out to many of you when you've turned in those connection cards to help assimilate you in the life of the church. For many years, they were, they'd send out the emails every single week. They send out all the prayer requests to our prayer team. They really do deal with all the communication that helps to assimilate people into the community. Uh, and it's such a vital and important team that we have here. And they're in the back right now, but I also want to recognize the band. Can we give the band... They're getting caffeinated. So the, the, obviously the band is just incredible, the time that they give, uh, the time that they come here and they set up and they rehearse. And they really think, you know, one of the things I love about our band is that they don't just seek to play the tune, but they, want to, they think intentionally about how do we kind of alter the tune to fit the context of our church, uh, to engage us in worship together. And so we're so appreciative of them. Make sure you, you let them know and recognize and thank them later. I want to ask all of our community group leaders and hosts to stand up. Hosts and community group leaders, stand up, stand up, stand up. Thank Some of you are still getting shy. Some of you are like, you know, thank you guys. Listen, the community groups are seriously one of the most, if not the most important thing that happens in the life of this church. You know, what happens here goes into the community groups and you guys provide not only a consistent place for people to meet, but you provide conversation that is bringing life transformation to people. You're, you're providing a safe space for people to share doubts, to ask questions, and that doesn't happen anywhere else. But you guys provide that, and that's a lot of time and prayer and attention that goes into thinking through those community groups. And so we're so appreciative of you all and what you do. Can the, communication, can the community group questions team stand up? Phil Nicholas, where are you at? There he is. Phil and also Patrick, who's not here this evening, they take uh, the sermon and the text every weekend into Monday, and they build out these incredibly engaging and insightful questions that really fuel the conversation in the community group. That is a lot of time, and oftentimes I'm a little frustrated because the questions are so good, and I'm like, wait, why didn't I put that in the sermon, you know? <laughs> But thank you guys for doing that and, and constantly sending that out to, to our people and to our team. A couple more. I want to ask all the deacons to stand. Can the deacons stand? I just want to... <laughs> guys, these people are everything. They do so, so much you don't even know. Obviously, you could tell many of them serve on many, many teams. They help lead different teams in our church. They're up here serving communion. They, they, they love me enough to come once a month to Pipeline, and many of them don't live in Brickell. 
And so they, they deal with the parking situation, and they come and they pray for this church. They lead in this church. They lead multiple teams. They're praying over your prayer request. They're meeting with people in the hospital. They're visiting those who are sick. They're bringing meals to new families. They're doing so much in the life of this church, and this church wouldn't be what it is without you guys. Seriously, thank you. I, uh, I want to uh, kind of recognize a couple people specifically. Uh, one of them, she's not going to be able to stand up, but I want you to go back and say thank you to Ginger uh, later after the service, who deals with uh, a very difficult situation um, in terms of what we have, though I told you in two weeks you're going to see best children's ministry of all time. But she cares for our kids. She pours time and attention into the lesson plans. She's organizing the volunteers. Uh, she's really transformed our children's ministry. And so make sure to thank her and to recognize her uh, for all that she does. Also, they're on vacation, but many of you know Phil and Sarah. Sarah sings with Brandon constantly. Phil runs and leads our gather team. What they do is unbelievable. The amount of time and attention, they go above and beyond uh, organizing so many things in the life of our church and really just giving of themselves constantly. So when you see them, if you have their number, text them and thank them for what they do. I want to ask uh, Mama Brickle, a.k.a. Debbie, to stand up. <laughs> Debbie, that's the heart. That's the heart of the church right there. Debbie, thank you for all of your little parties. And all of your events that you run, how you care for our women, how you care for our church. Every single week, Debbie is here preparing communion, bringing communion forward. She comes and she brings snacks. She tries to always bring snacks for the band. Oftentimes, I tell them, no, they're, they're really late. You cannot come. You have to come next time. And she's not happy about that. But Debbie, thank you. You have been here since the beginning. Uh, you are in so many ways the heart and soul of this church and so appreciative of so much radical generosity that you give. Seriously, thank you, Debbie. I got two more. I want to ask Trent to stand. Trent. Trent, Trent is the sound wizard, okay? This, if, you, if you realize, this space was not made for the type of music uh, that we have. And, but Trent, he's a magician. I don't know what he does. He's a wizard with the sound, and he is here every week, three o'clock, setting up, tearing down after. He goes above and beyond what he should do, and he's constantly thinking about how to fine-tune the music, how to put our musicians in the best place to lead, and to really create an atmosphere for us to worship. And so, Trent, we're so, so thankful for you, man. And lastly, last but certainly not least, Brandon, will you stand up, Brandon? Stand up. Stand up. Come on, bro. Stand up. Brandon, thank you. Brandon, I'm so thankful that we get to talk every single week to talk about songs and to build out this service. Um, I, one of the things I tell Brandon, now you guys can know this, obviously we are so blessed to have you leading our band and constantly thinking not just about songs, but how do we grow in worship as a culture, as a theology, uh, as a lifestyle in our church. And I tell Brandon this a lot, and you can hold him accountable, that Brandon, you're not allowed to go anywhere. You're not allowed to leave. You're never allowed to leave. You're always with me, okay? You just need to know that. But one of the things you could tell is that asking different people to stand up, many of you are serving on many different teams in many different facets and many different 
ways. And if I was writing a letter to this church, I wouldn't be able to name everybody. I think it's very similar to what Paul's situation is here because God has given us incredible people and so many of you have taken ownership. This is your church and you're giving of your time and your talent and your treasure. You're giving praise and encouragement and prayer to so many people. And this church is what it is because of you. You know, I, I think so many of you in this church dis they display what true Christian leadership is, which is true Christian leadership is not about show, it's about substance. It's not about being seen doing something. It's about the substance of your work that is motivated through your heart. And so I love you guys. I'm so appreciative of all that you guys do. Seriously, so, so appreciative of that. But for those of you that maybe are just joining us, you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, uh, I don't want you to feel like you're missing out. And I also, for those of you that are in difficult seasons in life, you know, you've been coming maybe for a while, but you haven't been able to engage. That's okay. Listen, God brings us in and out of different seasons in life. And we want you to know that you always have a church here. But Paul is thinking about FOMO. And so he doesn't want the rest of the church to feel left out when he identifies the leaders. And so he's going to look to the whole church. In the second half of the letter, he wants to look to all of us, every single person in this room, and he's going to say something to us about how we're to live and what that looks like to live like that together. And so if you want to look at the next verse with me, verse 14, here's what he says, and he says this to everyone. We urge you, brothers and sisters, the whole church, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all of them. He just spent two verses saying to the church that you need to recognize and to know the leadership because of their labor. He even uses the word labor because their work is strenuous and exhausting and it takes commitment. They need to be recognized and honored. But then he looks here in verse 14 to the whole church and he says, regardless of whether you're a leader and you have leadership responsibilities, everyone, leaders, those who are just joining for the first time, who have been coming for months, we are all called to maintain the well-being of the church together, everyone. And here's what he says. The way that you do that is through caring for the individual needs of different people in your community. And he, he gives four examples here. He says, first, you're to admonish the idol. Now, the word idol here doesn't necessarily mean like lazy. He's not calling people out. It means more disorderly. So he's saying, church, everyone, you are to admonish or to, to seek to bring order to those who are living lives that are disorderly, to, to know people and where they're at. Maybe they're in a difficult season. Maybe things are out of control. They can't even fathom how they're going to give time or talent or treasure or anything more than what they're able to, to God's mission in his church. And he says to the church, you're to bring discipline and order to help them grow and to flourish in God's will for their life. Then secondly, he says that the faint-hearted need to be encouraged. And the faint-hearted here are those that are feeling discouraged, those that are feeling burnt out, those that are really just struggling emotionally. You're to encourage them, come alongside them, listen to what they're going through, the faint-hearted. And then third, he says that the weak need to be helped. And he's not speaking about necessarily those who are physically weak, though we do see all throughout Scripture that those who are 
physically weak and have physical ailments need to be cared for for the church. He's speaking here more about those who have doubts and struggles in their faith. They're weak in their faith. They have questions and skepticism. And he looks to the church and he says, you need to help them. Doesn't mean that you, you tell them that they're wrong and here's the right answer. No, no, no. You help them, meaning you come alongside them and you listen to them and you encourage them. You give them the freedom to share their doubts. You process with them on the journey of faith. We say this all the time as a church, that we want to be a church where you can belong before you believe. Because we want to help those who are weak, who are new to faith, or have doubts and struggles. And then lastly, he says, we're to be patient with everyone. Can you imagine how many churches would be transformed if everybody committed to patience? If everybody said, I'm just going to be patient with all those people in my church community. I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going to be abounding in love. I'm going to be quick to shut down gossip. I'm going to be quick to listen and to encourage. I'm just going to be patient with people. He looks at the whole church and he says, everyone, you are called to maintain the well-being of the church by encouraging, admonishing those who are idle, who are disorderly, so they might become orderly in their life. You're to encourage the discouraged and faint-hearted. You're to help those who are struggling with doubts or new to the faith. And you're to be patient with everyone. You may have heard this kind of tagline before, that the church it's not a building, it's the people. That's true. But oftentimes what happens is that the church, we know the church is not a building, it's the people, but we disassociate ourselves with people in the church building because we don't vibe with them. They bother us. They're different from us. And so the church doesn't really become the people, the church becomes the people that we like and we know. And we kind of ignore and stay away from those that don't kind of fit well with us. You see, when you choose a church, you choose the people. All of them. Not some of them. All of them. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone. It doesn't mean like you have to have like a, a special WhatsApp group for every single person in the church. Right? It, it's important to have different levels of relationship. But when you choose a church, when you call a church your home, when it is your community, it's the place that you worship, you are choosing not just the building, not just a few of your friends, you're choosing everyone. All the people are your people. And you are called to be patient and to help those who are weak and to admonish those who are disorderly and to encourage those who are faint Hearted, we are all called to maintain the well-being of the whole community. And that means a few things. Here's what that means. First off, you have to know your church. You have to know the people in your church. You need to get to know them. We try to provide spaces, right? We open up the cafe at 4.30 so that you can come, you can get coffee and tea and snacks, and you can spend time meeting people. Oftentimes it's frustrating because you're meeting so many people, I can't get you in here. But that's, we, we like that you're meeting people. We provide space in the service during the passing of the peace for you to meet and mingle with people. We encourage everyone after to stay and to get to know people. 
But see, if you take this on and if you realize that when you choose a church, you choose the people, and you've been called to maintain the well-being of the church, then that means that in order for you to do that, you have to know people. Meaning, you have to intentionally seek to talk to someone to get to know someone that you don't know or you don't know well. And so my challenge to you in regards to that is make it a point and a priority to talk to one new person every single week. One new person. Have a conversation with one person that is not your friend, that you don't text with all the time, you don't spend the weekends with. One new person, because when you choose a church, you choose all the people. And we're all called to maintain the well-being of the church together. The second thing that that means for us is that we're to rejoice together always. He says that in verse 16. He just, Paul's very clear. It's a very simple kind of closing to his letter, a simple sermon. He says, rejoice always, meaning gathering together with your church and rejoicing consistently is important. What happens here is important. Making this a priority is important. Because we have given the privilege of worshiping God at any moment, at any space, at any time, because the Holy Spirit is alive in us, but the church is most alive and most powerful when it's worshiping together. And see, one of the things that's very difficult for us to understand, but what we see here in this letter and many other places in Scripture, is that you coming here on Sunday night is not only for your spiritual growth. Oftentimes we think to ourselves, I'm going to go to church because I need to hear something. I'm going to go to church because I need to feel something. And that's good. It's good to desire to to feel and to know and to grow. But if you've been called to maintain the well-being of the whole church, then you coming to the church is also that God can use you for other people. That you can come here to get to know other people, to hear their stories, to maybe help others, to encourage others. This isn't only about you. It's about everyone. So we're to rejoice always. And then he says, verse 17, again, simply, pray without ceasing, which means we're to pray constantly for each other. And I want to encourage a few things in you in regards to that. One, I want to encourage you to turn in prayer requests on the connection card so that we can pray for you. You can leave it anonymous if you want, but we want to be a church that prays constantly for each other. And the other thing is this. As you get to know people and you get to know their stories and what they're going through, what would it look like if you just said, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to write their name down on my phone and this week I'm going to pray for them. Even if you leave and you go in the back and you have a drink and you meet somebody new and all you got was their name and their job and the fact that they moved here six months ago. That's all you know about them. What if you just prayed for them? And trusted that God knows their heart. God knows what they're going through. You don't need to know everything. But you prayed for them. See, we're to pray together constantly for each other, church. Not just those on the prayer team. Not just the leadership. All of us are called to pray for each other. And then he says this. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Meaning give thanks no matter what, that we are called to be a church that doesn't complain. We're called to be a church that doesn't compare ourselves. We're called to be a church that quickly shuts down gossip. We're to be a church that is thankful. 
and is grateful and is giving thanks constantly. So my little encouragement to you here is this Thanksgiving in four days, one, come to the turkey bowl. It's going to be awesome. Shameless plug. But then when you are spending Thanksgiving with friends or with family, take a moment and remember your church. And just thank God for your church. The people that he's brought you around, the freedom that you have to worship. Give God thanks for your church. Even if you're visiting us tonight from another church, give God thanks for your church. We are to give thanks. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, why, why would I do this? Why would I do all these things? It's uncomfortable to engage in a conversation with somebody I don't know. Why would I do that? It is a commitment to pray for people. Why would I do that? It's so much easier to complain. We live in a city that loves to complain. It's so much easier to engage and to compare. Why would I be a person that gives thanks? It's so much easier to make church an option. Why would I rejoice always? Why should I care about maintaining the well-being of the church and choosing all the people, not just some? Well, Paul says this, the end of verse 18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's God's will. And he says something very important here. He says, it's the will of God. And then what does he say? In Christ Jesus. This is, this is often all throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul speaks about this often. He says things like this in Romans. Redemption is in Christ. Then he says, eternal life is in Christ. And then he also says in the book of 1 Corinthians, for the grace of God is given to you in Christ. And see, what you see and what you believe as a Christian, you see all throughout surrounding these chapters, is that these things are all gifts that are given to you in Christ. Redemption is a gift given to you in Christ because of what he's done for you. The grace of God is given to you as a gift in Christ. Eternal life, which is God's, is given to you in Christ. They're all gifts. Whenever you see something in Christ, you know it's a gift. And here he says that the will of God is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? To follow God's revealed will, as he's clearly and very simply just showed us here in this passage, is a gift. To care for your church is a gift. To serve is a gift. To live open-handed is a gift. To take up responsibilities of leadership is a gift. To pray for others is a gift. To worship together is a gift. To give thanks, no matter what, is a gift. These things are gifts given to us. You see, the Apostle Paul is challenging us to believe that the good life is actually living a life that's open-handed. A radically generous life where some people may look at you and be like, why would you give? Why would you serve? Why would you engage? Why would you pray for someone you don't even know? Why would you give thanks when your life is actually really hard? Because it's a gift. The will of God is a gift given to me in Christ. But see, here's the truth. If you don't see the good news of the gospel that's given to you in Christ as a gift, then you'll never see serving and loving his church as a gift. I want to close by sharing an illustration with you 
Uh, I'm going to bring up something that many of you don't like, and that's debt. Debt. I want you to think about all of your debt, okay? Some of you are like, no, please. (laughs) Please, no. I want you to think about your credit card debt, your mortgage payments, your student loan debt. How many of you feeling that? I want you to feel about how much you have left on your rent. All the debt that you've accumulated. Your car payment. I want you to think about all the debt that you have, okay? And then I want you to imagine this. You get a phone call, and it's a collection agency. And they call you up, and they say, listen, I need you to come to a meeting. We have to talk. You're nervous, right? Did I not pay on time? You're like thinking of how you're going to have this conversation. And they're dealing with all of your debt. You sit down at the table. You look at this collection agent, and the collection agent looks at you, and you're like, hey, listen, before you get started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay it off. It's just going to take some time, maybe like 30 years, but it's going to take some time. I'm working towards it. And the collection agent looks at you and says, you don't need to worry about that. I canceled it all. What would your reaction be? Wait, What? Can you imagine right now having no student loan debt, no credit card debt, no mortgage payment, no car payment, nothing, all gone? You would look at the collection agent and you would say, why did you do that? I mean, you would feel grateful, but your first question would be like, why? And then the collection agent looks at you and says this. You may not believe this, but it's, I've been observing you and I want you to know that one, I love you, And you're like, what? You don't even know me. Yeah, I love you. Telling you that. You could believe me because I canceled your debt. And I want you to live free. Like, you're bound by this. And I want you to live free. I want you to be able to flourish. Your next question will probably be like, okay, but I, can I do something? Like, is there, I, I can't pay it all back, but maybe there's a gesture, maybe there's something I can do that can kind of like pay you back a little bit. And the agent says, no, no, you can't do it. It's a gift. Like you don't pay back a gift. You receive a gift. Just receive it. But then the collection agent looks at you and he says this. I do want to tell you this though. I want to encourage you to live in your freedom. Don't go back to accumulating more debt. I want you to live free. I want you to flourish. And then you sit down, and you'd probably listen attentively. And he would say, here are some things that I want you to begin to follow, and to trust. They're going to bring a life of joy and a life that is a life of flourishing. You'd probably listen and follow it. You see, when you, when you believe that Jesus Christ has canceled your debt, it changes how you live. Because Jesus looks at you, and you have a debt of sin, separates you from God. And Jesus went to the cross, his, gave his perfect life, and he, he allowed himself to be nailed to that tree, and he, he bled, and he died, and he was tortured for you. And he comes to you, and he says, I've canceled your debt. And, and though you feel like maybe I don't know you, I love you. I love you. And you can't pay it back. It's a gift. There's no performance. There's no amount of religious things you can do. There's no, nothing. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It is a gift. Receive it. 
But I do want to tell you this. There's a way that I want you to live, and it's called the will of God. And if you trust me, and if you follow it, you're going to find freedom. Don't go back to the way that you used to live. Don't run back to the things that you used to do. Trust me, follow me, believe that I actually have the good life laid out for you. And when you trust and follow that, you're going to find freedom and joy and fulfillment, all the things that you were looking for beforehand. Live free, canceled by your debt. You see, when you see that Jesus has done that for you, you listen attentively. And you say, God, it sometimes doesn't make sense what you're calling me to do, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow what you say is the good life. Winston Churchill has this great quote. He says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You see, we are made alive by what we get in Christ, but we make a life by what we give in Christ. We are made alive through what we get from Jesus, but our life is made by how we give in Christ. So my encouragement to all of you, including myself, church, is that we would trust that the good life is, in fact, God's revealed will that is a gift to us. And that we would believe that living radically generous with open hands, loving people, being patient with people, praying for people, rejoicing always, seeking to maintain the well-being of the whole church, and seeing serving and giving and engaging and loving people is, in fact, a gift. And that people would look at our church and say, they really love people, they care for people, they pray for people, but it seems a little insane. Because we trust that God has the good life for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for simple truths that are really difficult to believe and to follow. Lord, we ask tonight that you would enable us just to see the truth and the beauty of your revealed will, that it is in fact good. Lord, we ask that you would enable us to see the things that we clutch tightly, that we don't want to open to you, and that you would stir in us a heart of radical generosity that wants to live open-handed, that wants to serve and love and care for people, pray for people, rejoice always, give thanks, that we would be a church that admonishes those who are idle and encourages the faint-hearted and helps the weak and is patient. And Lord, would all of that stem from the recognition and the realization that you have canceled our debt, Jesus. And we're free. We are free to trust you and to live the life that you have called us to live. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.